Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. A nice candy. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. I am your host, Bob. And this week, I'm going a little bit outside of my comfort zone. I'm trying a new sort of category of cuisine, something I'd never made before. And even at that level, I'm doing an adaptation of an adaptation. So so what are we making? This week, we are making some duck bulgogi, right? Korean barbecue featuring duck. Uh, traditionally, bulgogi is beef or sometimes pork or chicken, but I am taking hmm, taking uh, inspiration from Hank Shaw's duck bulgogi recipe. And I know I mentioned Hank Shaw before. I'll probably mention him on every episode that is at least tangentially related to wild game preparation. Uh, Hank Shaw is like the Jacques Pepin of wild game cooking. And if you are into waterfowl, as I am, because, you know, here on the farm, I very often will raise ducks or sometimes geese or, you know, maybe who knows, whatever other uh, waterfowl. And having a whole book dedicated to waterfowl recipes is great. So his book, Duck, Duck, Goose, is wonderful in that regard. And if you are into hunting, you know, the more traditional uh, large mammals of North America, he has a, what would you call it, like a sister cookbook, a compa- not, not a companion, it stands, on, it stands on its own, but follows the same naming convention called Buck Buck Moose, and it is similarly fantastic. But why are we saying that this is an adaptation of an adaptation of an adaptation? Well, because in the introduction to this recipe, Hank Shaw says that the, his, his recipe is an adaptation of an adaptation. Apparently in the 1960s, his parents went to a barbecue at a friend's house. The friend was a Korean war veteran who was married to a Korean woman and she made bulgogi and she gave Hank's mother the recipe, but it was more like, here's what's in it. Not like, you know, here's how much of each thing to put in it. And it sounds like it could have been an 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 oral retelling like hey yeah that's it's just this this and this yada 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 so hank shaw's parents uh would recreate the the dish occasionally and i'm sure that they refined it and and bastardized it to some extent um so he's basically adapting it to duck so that's why it's two layers of adaptation and then i basically compared hank shaw's bulgogi recipe to just another i don't know serious eats or Bon Appetit or something like that recipe to see like what are the key differences like what is the what is the deal here and I made one kind of notable substitution but listen I don't care if you think that this is inauthentic or if you if you don't like it if you don't think that it's a good idea because it was delicious I loved it and I will be making it again and that's what really what's what really matters right so bulgogi what's the deal what's the name what's the thing similar to a lot of other Asian dishes, you know, and Asia is a very big place. I understand. <laughs> we talk about Eastern Asia, uh, you have Southeast Asia, whatever. But you have these different Asian dishes that are that take their name from either the the implement that it's cooked on, like yakitori over the yakitori grill, or 
the the method, you know, the or a combination of those things. So you have things like bulgogi, yakitori, teppanyaki, right? Those are all things that are kind of named after the the method of preparation or the style of grill or the style of grilling that you're using. And, uh, you know, the, the protein is often interchangeable, whether it's pork, beef, or chicken, or, you know, in this case, we're subbing in duck for what would have more traditionally been beef, yada, yada, yada. Um, but that's, that's the deal. And it's, you know, essentially one of the national dishes of Korea. I mean, bulgogi, and kimchi i mean is there a is there a more iconic duo it is the peas and carrots of the korean peninsula i don't know but uh all oh, bonus bonus recipe on this one i made these uh little dinner roll bun things tonight they're they're not korean they're not even really asian i mean there's a one somewhat asian ingredient in it but i had an idea i was like you know what i'm gonna try this out and guess what it was fantastic. So I'm going to throw it in here. These little sesame seed buns with a twist, with two twists, actually, with two twisty majig ingredients that can throw you for a loop. But boy, boy, were they good. They were fantastic. But let's let's do the duck bulgogi first. If you live somewhere that you can get duck breasts by themselves at the grocery store or mail order, or if you have ducks on your farm or whatever, you're very lucky. Uh, it, it is a, a luxury to be able to, you know, have duck as readily and as um, conveniently as, you know, some people have chicken. Um, if not, you can buy a whole duck, often frozen from the grocery store, and just excise the breasts from that. And if you need something to do with the wings and the legs and the thighs, go back into the archives. One of the early episodes I did, it might have been like episode number three, I'm not really sure. But duck confit works fantastic for leg quarters and wings alike. So you can use the whole buffalo, even if it is a duck. All right. So what we want to do is we want to get two duck breasts or, you know, whatever. However many people you're feeding. I'm saying this because I pulled both breasts off the duck and I used both of them. And I fed three people with that. Okay. But, you know, you make, you make your determination of how much duck breast you actually need and get them rip them off of the duck or buy them individually, do whatever you need to do, but we need some duck breast. What we're going to do is we're going to make a marinade for this. And this is like the whole thing is marinade and then grilling. And I even skipped the grilling because it is cold and windy. So I just did this, you know, cast iron skillet and made it look grilled by scorching the outside, which is easy to do because duck has, has a very nice fat cap on it. Okay. But we're going to make this marinade and I'll, I'll read through Hank Shaw's recipe and I'll tell you where I diverged from him. Okay. Um, a quarter cup of rice vinegar, a half, I'm sorry, a third of a cup of soy sauce. I guess I diverged here. I, I used uh, coconut aminos because that's just what I had on hand, baby. You know what I'm saying? So a third of a cup of soy sauce, two tablespoons of sesame oil. Sesame oil is so good. It is the best. Okay. Four green onions or scallions, if you want to call them that. Two tablespoons of peeled and chopped fresh ginger. Five cloves of garlic. Two tablespoons of sugar. I did not use sugar. What I did was I used a pear. The fruit, I took the skin off of the pear with a vegetable peeler. I peeled the pear 
and then I cut it into chunks and uh, all this stuff gets blended together in a blender uh, to make a delicious smelling but revolting looking puree. <laughs> now, if you would, if you didn't use a pear uh, and you chopped all this stuff, you could make a what, what I call a loose marinade that would look like, you know, salad dressing essentially with chopped uh, scallion and garlic and sesame, or not sesame, um, ginger and all of this stuff mixed around and floating in a mixture of soy sauce and, and rice vinegar. But if you pulse it in the, in the, in the Vitamix, you're going to get uh, sort of an emulsion there and it's going to take on a, a sandy brown hue, um, but it does smell incredible. So all those things go into the blender, uh, blend those together. Uh, your duck breasts, put them into a non-reactive pan. I use like one of those corningware casseroles and pour that marinade over your duck breasts. And you want that to sit for as long as you can afford to, up to 24 hours. So I put that in around 11 o'clock. We had dinner around 6.30. So, you know, seven and a half hours, not bad. Definitely got really good flavor penetration into the duck meat from that marinade. You know, and if you go 24 hours, it's going to be really good all the way through. It's just fantastic. There's enough salt in the soy sauce and then enough uh, acid in the rice vinegar that you can get like this real good exchange of liquids, this expulsion of moisture from the flesh of the meat. Now you could do this, you know, obviously with beef, pork, chicken, whatever, but it worked really well. And uh, then it comes time to cook. Okay. I rinsed the duck breasts off in cold water and patted them dry with a sharp boning knife. It doesn't really matter what the style of knife. I just, usually I'm able to keep the, the, the last inch of the boning knife that kind of curves up into the point really nice and sharp. So if I need to score the skin of something, I kind of go for the boning knife as opposed to the chef's knife or the paring knife, which... Uh, I spend a lot more time on just like the, the bulk of the edge of those blades whenever I'm sharpening and don't try to, you know, grind them down into a hypodermic, hypodermic tip. <laughs> With a boning knife, I basically scored a crosshatch pattern into the fat of the duck breast. Duck is uh, notoriously very fatty, right? The reason for it is that it's a migratory waterfowl. Their fat deposits serve multiple functions. On one hand, it's a store of energy for a long migration, for whenever they're going to fly south for the winter or whatever, and they're going to traverse hundreds or thousands of miles, being able genetically predisposed to accumulating a large amount of fat, definitely to your benefit. Secondly, as waterfowl, they're often floating around on really cold bodies of water. So the additional fat is an insulating layer. It keeps the skin oily so that they can maintain waterproof feathers and down. Uh, it protects the vital organs from cold shock and it's buoyant fat floats, right? So ducks are real floaty. And that's why, that's why duck has that real nice uh, fat cap on it. That's why that we raise ducks on the farm as a stand in for beef. And I will treat a duck breast the same as you would like a New York strip steak with that fat cap around the edge. But in this case, it would be a fat cap over the full, you know, 
corpus of the of the duck breast. So I score a crosshatch pattern into the duck skin and then salt it. And let it sit there for a little while. Let that salt kind of go to work and and dry dry out or extract some liquid from the skin from the fat. Um, that'll help crisp it up. And then what we're going to do is we're going to lay those duck breasts skin side down in a cold pan and then turn the heat on medium high somewhere around there as the pan heats up all that duck fat is going to start to render out you know it's not like throwing it into a screaming hot pan and it kind of cauterizes and sears it immediately this way that that gradual temperature curve you know uh is going to render out a lot of that duck fat and the duck is going to cook in its own fat it's 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 wonderful that way what we're going to do is we're going to start it skin side down and then flip it after a couple minutes and you know gauge the brownness the doneness i want to get like a fairly dark i don't want to say char scorch crust sear i don't know i want it to be fairly dark because ideally we would be grilling this like uh, over charcoal or wood but doing it in the pan we want to get some nice color and crispiness to the exterior of that duck fat this is also where i diverged from hank shaw because he uh, recommended removing the duck fat and the skin but he's also working with uh, wild duck which can have some off flavors in the fat because the fat is like this last step concentration of nutrition and whatever the duck is eating is going to concentrate in the fat uh the carotenoids from you know whatever plants they're consuming plus the 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 nutrients that they're getting from you know filtering silt in a pond so who knows who knows what it's going to taste like so you know just as a matter of caution you can remove that but if you're using a farmed duck or a grocery store duck leave that fat on for show okay because it's going to be good and you can cook the duck to just a straight up medium, medium rare. The reason, the reason, it's like, this is a bird. What are you talking about? Don't you have to cook it to 165 degrees and then deep fry it for 15 minutes? No, 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 no. Look at the way a duck is proportioned physically. Their body is really elongated as compared to a chicken, for example. A chicken's very upright. All of the organs in the viscera all kind of occupy this cavity about the size of a baseball so it's all touching it's all in there together right the duck is elongated with the viscera the the, the intestines and the gizzard and stuff like that way down at the tail end kind of separate from from what we'd call the vital organs like the heart the lungs the liver that's all up in the chest protected by a nice thick fat fat cap and it's just geographically further away from the bad parts than it is in a chicken so you know upon processing and cleaning you don't have as much of a risk of contamination in general but specifically not of intramuscular contamination you're not going to be injecting any fecal coliforms into the duck breast because the breast is you know it's not touching the visceral cavity so you can prepare duck to a beautiful medium, medium rare, whatever. I prefer medium myself. And for this dish, you'll look at the pictures and be like, mm, that looks a little bit more than medium, you know, straight medium. Uh, it was in the internal of the medallions was medium, uh, medium, uh, medium to medium rare, but I did toss the duck in 
basically a glaze of the rice vinegar, soy sauce, and a little bit of honey just to, to coat it, give it a little bit of glisten and some surface flavor. And that did cook the cut surface a little bit more than it came out of the pan at. Okay. Now serving this again, dressed with a little bit of, you know, you could, you could basically make that, that whole marinade of rice vinegar, uh, soy sauce, sesame oil, uh, scallions, ginger, garlic, sugar, honey, chopped pear, whatever. Um, you could mix that up and just use that as a drench or a sauce or a glaze or something like that with your duck breast. And then serve this with just some steamed, you know, some white rice and some kimchi, which we will make kimchi at some point, kimchi or sauerkraut or whatever. I want to do like a fermentation episode, but I won't want to wait until the garden is in full production because it's better to use your own vegetables. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, but so some super spicy kimchi, some white rice, garnish it with some very thinly a chiffonade, uh, scallions, and some sesame seeds. And oh boy, it was so delicious. I loved it. Now let me tell you about these buns that I made. Holy moly. All right, so these buns are basically, it's going down the path of a brioche bread, you know, sweet, rich, soft, uh, like a, like a hamburger bun. Um, not quite, not quite a King's Hawaiian bun, but not too far removed from that idea. And here's what I did. So two tablespoons of dry active yeast, easy breezy, beautiful, right? Three and a half cups of all purpose flour, a teaspoon of salt, one large beaten egg, plus another one in reserve because we're going to egg wash these and bedazzle them with some sesame seeds and salt whenever they're like almost done cooking. It's going to be really good. The recipe is for a quarter of a cup of sugar. I replaced that with our homemade maple syrup from a couple of weeks ago. You'll remember that, that episode. A third of a cup of olive oil. Now here's where it gets cool. Instead of one cup of warm water, I used one cup of Lapsang Sochong tea. It's a mouthful and it's one of the best. Oh man, it's, it's like, it's probably my second favorite tea be, be, behind Earl Grey. Lapsang Sochong is a black, is a, ugh, is a black tea from, I believe like Southeastern China. And traditionally it would have been dried over pine tar fires. I don't know, because it was probably a humid environment. You can't just uh, lay them out in the sun to, to dry after the fermentation. So they would dry them over pine tar fires. Very similarly to how uh, a lot of the products, like cured products and paprikas from the Asturias region in Spain are cold smoked because it's such a humid environment that everything would just rot and mildew if it wasn't uh, smoked during the drying process because smoke retards the growth of mold. So it allows it to dry out very slowly without mildewing in the interim. But yeah, that's really cool. So I used a, a cup of this super smoky tea. This is a, this is a cup of tea that tastes like, uh, it tastes like a fireplace the morning after you had a fire in it. And that sounds like a little rough, like, Ugh. but it's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. So I replaced the water in that recipe with that tea. Bloom the yeast with a little bit of the maple syrup and a pinch of the flour, and then mix them all together. Throw it all, throw it all together, and 
knead it with the dough hook attachment on your stand mixer for five minutes. And this is going to make a really wet dough. Like this is a dough that is, if it were any wetter, it would be batter. <laughs> very sticky, uh, very difficult to work with. But once it comes together, it gets kind of smooth. Uh, you can turn it out onto a cutting board. You could do it onto a floured surface. I did not. I just wanted to work really quickly uh, with it and then divide it into six or eight equal portions, depending on how big you want your buns to be. Form them very quickly with your hands into a ball and then lay them in even rows on a baking sheet lined with parchment paper and just let them sit there. They'll rise the, the glutens in the, in the dough will kind of mellow out a little bit. Let them just sit there for 10, 15 minutes. It's not a long rise. And then those are going to go into a 425 degree Fahrenheit oven for 12 to 15 minutes. And at the seven minute mark, seven minutes in, you want to egg wash the tops of these and sprinkle on some sesame seeds and a little bit of salt and then let them finish up in the oven before taking them out to cool on the countertop. And they are so good. It's like, I think the, the Lapsang Sochong really, the smokiness of it muted significantly in the presence of the, of the maple syrup and, you know, just the flavor of the, the, the rising soft dough and everything. But the bread itself had a flavor and texture very similar to pretzel pretzel rolls, pretzel bread. And it was incredible. I loved it. I loved every aspect of this, of this meal. Yeah. The kimchi was fire. The duck was really good. The rice, it was rice. I mean, come on, you can't mess it up. Rice in a rice cooker. Come on. Yeah. And then those rolls, everything was fantastic. So duck bulgogi, uh, you can replace the duck with beef, pork, chicken, whatever. Uh, have fun with it. If it's if it's not 18 degrees outside, yeah, maybe try throwing that on the grill. Do it authentic. <laughs> All right? All right. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.